Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. The podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, technology. and particularly the bits in between. For those of you that are concerned that you might have hit the wrong podcast because of the music, don't be. Last episode, I announced that the new logo and artwork that uh, was was launched, and hopefully you've seen that. Well, this has had some fantastic feedback, and therefore we thought we should go the whole hog. Basically, my ego knew no bounds. And we now have a new website, uh, www.1202podcast.com. Some new social media accounts, again, 1202podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And these new sounds that you just heard, so you'll hear new um, new intros, new outros, and um, new sound bites in the middle. So, what more could you possibly want? I feel I basically I felt it was time that the podcast finally grew up. It was sat on my um, BarryKirby.co.uk um, web page, which also has a mix of other things on it. And given now that we've basically been gone just over two years, I thought it was about time it grew up and stood on its own two feet. So the website is something rather special, I think. Um, it has episodes, show notes, um, guest profiles, sponsor details, and a blog section. So we can keep everybody updated with where we are and what we're doing. In addition to that, it's even got its own voicemail function. So you could, if you wanted to, go onto the website and just leave us a voicemail. If you do leave us a voicemail, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what your que- comment or question, or both is. Preferably something to do with human factors. I don't need any sort of random stuff about meaning of life. But if, again, if you feel the need to reach out, then please do. Um, I'll be able to play it on the show and hopefully with with some sort of relevant response. You never know if I get my planning sorted out, I might actually know who I'm going to interview next in advance of me doing it. So you might be able to actually put a, put your question to that uh, uh, to, to that guest. But um, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, we all know what my planning's like at the moment. Anyway, I encourage everybody to have a good look and like good human factors people, feel free to feed back to me. Any problems, errors or ideas for other content you want to see on that site. Um, and if you want to give me any sort of um, usability ratings or anything like that as well, go big guns. Um, in We've also had a, another blog uh, podcast listing and we've been listed in the 15 best ergonomic podcasts of 2021. Unfortunately, we were only at number five this time instead of number one, but um, it, it was by uh, feedspot.com. And they are ranking theirs by traffic rank, social media followers, domain authority, and freshness. I'm not entirely sure how we measure freshness. Um, I haven't seen any methodology on that, but I'm sure that they've got their methodology sound and written down, published somewhere. And in other news, I've been moonlighting over again at Human Factors Cast with Nick Rome, and it's looking likely I'll be doing more episodes on there in the near future. So do feel free to check it out. Um, They're recorded live, so you can listen to them on your um, podcast uh, directory, but they are recorded live um, on Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, and everywhere else. We're also restreaming it through our 1202 podcast um, links, so... Do feel free to go. If you want to come and join us live, you, you can do. The only downside is that from a UK perspective, it's recorded between midnight and 2 a.m. So you have to be especially keen. However, that didn't stop Barry Williams and James Owen last week who joined us. So whilst the recording is only an hour, we do a pre-show and a post-show chat. So it means anybody who's on there, if you're on the on the social media channels, you can comment and we get it live and, therefore, and we can feed back and include you in the show. Um, but if you come and join the, the pre and post show, and then it also gives you an idea how the show is curated. Nick is way more organised than I am. And generally the banter that goes on behind the scenes. Anyway, back to today's episode. My guest is someone who, if you're in the world of human factors, then actually truly needs no introduction if you've read the title of the podcast because it's a familiar name to anybody who's worked in or studied in human factors. But for those who are dipping their toe into the world of ergonomics, then he's authored 21 books and over 250 peer-reviewed journal articles. 
His accolades include the Chad Institute for Ergonomics and Human Factors 2019 William Floyd Award and 2008 President's Medal. The Human Factors and Ergonomics Society Australia's 2017 Cummings Memorial Medal and the International Ergonomics Association 2018 Re, um, Research Impact in Practice Award. If you follow him on social media, then you got strong flavour for just how much in demand he is from all over the world, despite him being locked into, into the UK at the moment, um, which is why I'm thoroughly delighted that he's been able to spare us some of his precious time. He's the director of the Centre director of the Center for Human Factors and Sociotechnical Systems at the University of the Sunshine Coast, which I just think is a fantastic name for a university. Um, Paul, uh, Professor Paul Salmon, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Barry. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. I'm you know, really looking forward to it. Cool. No, um, as, we, as we're looking forward to hear what you've got to say as well. So, you're, as I said, you're um, uh, director of Center for uh, Human Factors and Sociotechnical Systems. What does that mean in to, to layman's terms? What, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm the director, basically, of a research centre at the University of Sunshine Coast, and, and really all of our work is around applying human factors and systems thinking to understand and optimise socio-technical systems. And I guess by socio-technical systems, we basically mean any system that has people and things in it that are working together. So... That's you, you've been in um, in the human factors domain for for quite a while. Um, why did you get into HF in the first place? What 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 got you into the HF domain? Yeah, I actually had an in, quite an interesting path into human factors. So I actually did an undergraduate degree in sports science, uh, and towards the end of the degree in sports science, you know, there was a I think there was a realization um, with myself and other kind of people studying it that we we knew. Uh, little bits of things about a lot of different things but we weren't specialized in anything so I knew that I had to do something to become specialized to kind of get a career in something and, and at the same time they were setting up um, a master's degree in applied ergonomics at the University of Sunderland which is where I was studying sports science and I'd heard of ergonomics because I'd looked into football boot design as part of my studies on the undergraduate degree so I thought oh, that's quite sounds quite interesting might as well do that I've got little else to do um, and then really on that master's degree I remember as a particular moment where I was it was a module a module on um, accident causation basically and I was just kind of blown away um, by the module and, and a particular case study which was the Herald of Free Enterprise as a right. disaster and I just thought this is you know this is just so interesting and I, I need to basically be involved in this kind of work and it just went from there basically. I never thought that we'd be talking about football boot design I've got to admit that's um yeah, that, that's a, that's a, a heck of an entry point. Um, so if you started started there, then I mean, you've um, like I say you learn in the UK. You're now um, now in the uh, in, in in Australia. So how did you get from there? What what's what's been your career path? Yeah, um, so basically I, I did the master's degree in applied ergonomics and that was great. And I, I came straight out of that and I got a, a research assistant position with um, Neville Stanton at Brunel University, which was looking at um, developing methods to predict pilot errors in cockpit design. Um, and so basically I, I went to work with him and again, you know, got my mind blown a little bit about the potential of HFE um, and studied for a PhD with uh, Neville eventually and finished that in around 2008. Through that period, I met my wife, who's actually Australian, um, and we had um, uh, children, and she basically said, you know, I I love the UK and everything, but I'm not raising my kids in this weather, so (laughs) we're going to Australia. So I actually um, applied for and and got a job at Monash University Accident Research Centre in Melbourne. Um, which is another great spot with a great human factors team uh, there. 
and my wife who's from the sunshine coast after three years in melbourne she basically said the same she said i'm not raising my kids in this weather because i don't know if you've been to melbourne but the weather's pretty much the same as england oh right um, okay so we moved to the sunshine coast and the interesting thing there really was that um, that was basically a lifestyle move. So there was really nobody at the University of Sunshine Coast that did HFE. So I was kind of going in. And, I, and that's one of the reasons why we have a research center, because quite quickly I realized I had to build something to get some people around me to actually do the work I wanted to do. Um, so it's been an interesting journey. I'd say that's a heck of an opportunity to be able to go in somewhere and start something from scratch and, and, and build that up. That must have been fascinating. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. And, you know, I, I was incredibly lucky at around the same time I was starting to be successful with, you know, category, what we call Category 1 research grants in Australia. And so I was able quite quickly to put some people around me. And I think as well, the University of Sunshine Coast is really quite a, a young um, a new university and they were they were quite ambitious they were quite they're quite agile right. and so they were quite supportive as well so it was it was really kind of a, a perfect time to do that so we've had um i don't know if you noticed we've had this thing the pandemic um it sort of got in the way of quite a lot of things how have you found um having to like sort of cope with work through the pandemic is, is have you had have you had any major insights into yourself or um you know how's it been um, yeah, I mean, we were we were able with most of our projects to flip quite quite you know um, quickly to online. So you know, we do do a lot of workshops where we're doing kind of systems analyses and building models and designing things. Um, we were able to kind of flip that online, so we, our projects themselves didn't suffer, um, so that they were quite great. And in fact, we probably were able to get you know some more interesting projects because of the pandemic because everything was online Um, but in terms of you know what I've learned about myself I think you know I I need to be um, in the room with the people doing the interesting HFE stuff you know I can handle online but I I don't think people are getting the best out of me online anyway. Yeah I think it's been interesting hasn't it the um, that there's some really interesting discussions going on about hybrid working and, and sort of back to the office and things. And there's there's such a mix of people saying, no, no, I want to be at home all the time. Um, then some people say, no, no, you should be in the office all the time. What does a hybrid look like? I guess for me, one of the um, things I think we've been missing is it's the non um, the nonverbal cues. So like, as you say, when you're giving a presentation or, uh, you know, some sort of um, interaction, you don't just, with teams and things, we seem to be always on. Um, yeah. You know, you can't just go and go and have the the chat around the coffee table or after the meeting or before the meeting and stuff. And it's them sort of things that I think we've been missing in terms of, of team building and trying to do usability testing through um, through the web has proven challenging uh, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those those coffee machine chats are, are really critical, particularly in academia, when you know often that little chat at lunchtime you'll come up with an idea that's going to set your research agenda for the next five years so we we've been trying to you know kind of recreate those chats so we can keep the good ideas coming and that's definitely been a challenge i think yeah no and quite right too um right we'll be back in two minutes when um we're going to talk into into more detail into the sort of the the research uh, that you've been getting up to If you're a human factors practitioner or in a related discipline and are not already a member, then do look up the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors. They are the professional chartered institution for all human factors practitioners. Find them at www.ergonomics.org.uk. 
And that was quite lucky because I realised as soon as I pressed the button, that's the one of the, that's one of the jingles I hadn't actually pre-listened to um, before I got. So thankfully that came out okay. Um, so yeah, Paul, can you just give us a bit of an insight into your current research because you're doing a lot of research around transport and infrastructure? Um, could you just give us a bit of an insight into the sort of things you're looking at and and what, what sort of things you're finding? Yeah, sure. So the transport and infrastructure theme is one of the, the five themes in the centre. And predominantly, the work in that theme is around road and rail safety at the moment. So we, you know, we've, we've just completed a big programme of research looking at the uh, Fatal Five, what's known as the Fatal Five road safety behaviours in Australia. Um, and that's speeding, distraction, fatigue, driving under the influence of drugs, driving without seat belts. Uh, driving under the influence of alcohol. Actually, if you flesh them out, there's eight. So we started calling them the hateful eight uh, because right, okay. you can you can look at front seat belts, child restraints. There's legal drugs, illegal drugs, and and so on and so forth. So we had this idea a few years ago now that you know basically road safety has done a lot of great work understanding all of the driver mechanic driver factors that influence engagement in those fatal five behaviours. But we were kind of making the argument that actually. There are other interesting contributory factors across the road transport system and indeed society. And so we kind of made the argument that applying systems HFE methods to look at the problem is really critical. And so we basically threw the systems HFE bucket it using things like stamp, work domain analysis, causal loop diagram, systems dynamics. And we were basically able to show, and this is a four-year program of work, so I'm, I'm kind of brushing over it quickly. We were basically <laughs> able to show that Yes, there's all these driver-centric reasons why a driver might engage in these things, personality, knowledge, skills, experience. There's a set of road transport system factors around you know, education, licensing, enforcement, road design. But there's this really interesting set of societal factors that are kind of creating these problems in the road transport system. So I'm talking things like alcohol addiction, drug addiction, social media, work, that, those kind of pressures. Uh, and they are really strong factors which influence drivers' engagement in the fatal five behaviours. And so we you know, did some design workshops to say, well, what do we do about this? And, and again, our focus there was to say, well, you, know, you, can, you can use all of the road safety interventions you like, things like education, enforcement, uh, you know, engineering, but if you don't tackle the societal issues, those problems are going to continue no matter what you do. So we did some modelling and we tested basically different groups of interventions and we looked for leverage points. And we, we were able really to show that if the best way to tackle a problem is for road safety people to work with the public health people and kind of develop interventions together rather than work in silos. And, you know, some of those leverage points are things around, you know, what, the design of our work and, you know, how, how employers deal with road safety. Um, obviously, you know, you've got those um, poor time, poor lifestyles, alcohol addiction, social media and so on. And so we model different interventions. We were able, basically able to show that the kind of interventions that integrated road safety interventions with public health interventions had a bigger effect on reducing the road toll effectively. That's an incredible um, pulling together of look, basically looking at almost outside of the specific problem um, and looking at how, how things pull together. Did, did anything surprise you when you, when you um, did your analysis? Is there anything that come out and, and basically hit you from left field? 
Uh, yeah, so I, I think that that pow those powerful social issues were a real surprise for me because I think I went into the project thinking there's broader contributory factors, but they're in the road transport system. They're right. to do with road design or vehicle design or licensing. But these it's these external, if you like, social societal issues that were the real surprise for me. And the big one is work. So the basically the role that employers have in road safety i think it is huge and that was kind of new to me and so some of our interventions were really about you know less about trying to change the design of the road system but more about having employers and work organizations recognize their role in road safety and kind of do put, put interventions in place themselves um, so how are you able to um to take that research um and actually get it applied has anybody taken that and and been able to to do i guess practical intervention with it yeah that's a good question so we we i mean we've just completed it but we do have good kind of links in australia with the road safety authorities across the different states so we've definitely been able to you know disseminate the research mm -hmm. to the right people um you know, obviously there's, there's work to be done to try and uh, implement those interventions but one of the key points of the whole program was about saying you know, an issue in HFE is that often we will recommend a suite of interventions based on HFE analysis, but we don't have any evidence to show that the intervention will have the effect. So we were trying to kind of use computational modeling methods like system dynamics to actually show the road safety authorities that there would be a reduction in the road toll. Uh, and so hopefully that kind of facilitates the translation a little bit, but yeah. we'll have to wait and see. Oh, it sounds like a really exciting time to, to be there where you've actually got some outputs that you weren't necessarily expecting but you could see will make a real difference and you're you're on that um almost precipice of being able to actually do something with it and and help people um because that will i mean finding them sort of things out i mean that's going to directly save lives isn't it that's that could that could, could be really impressive um yeah absolutely that's the hope for sure so just to move on a bit in fact i kind of want to move back a bit if i'm honest because the one of the most um inspirational things i've seen you do was when you give your give your keynote to the ergonomics uh, 2019 conference um on the basically you the i guess in the the, the in short terms we, we you argued that um we could take what we do in terms of systems ergonomics and put it onto the global scale and look at things in in a really big level and it sort of fits with a lot of the stuff i'm doing at, looking at the moment around climate change and we we re, we're in this zone of looking at, at global activity so from your perspective what uh, what role does ergonomics have to play at the global scale yeah i think that's a great question i think it's got a huge role to play and i think this will be the focus of my research over the next little while like for me you know human factors ergonomics is the science of understanding complex systems and optimizing human health and well-being and, and we have all of these you know massive global threats that you know either you know are going to impact our health and well-being or even you know impact our entire existence on earth so for me hfe has to be at the forefront of efforts to try and respond to these global issues and i think we have the tools to do that if we think of systems hfe methods the whole point of them is to look at very complex systems, identify all of the different parts, how they interact together, and how you optimize that, those systems. And so I think we do have the tools to do that. And I think the other side of that is any kind of 
you know, response to these global issues, and we've seen this with the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, that fundamentally they're human-centric and they require changes in human behaviour. And really that's what we do on a day-to-day -day basis with HFE. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's actually quite surprising that we're not involved more in these issues. Do you think there's um? I mean, certainly one of the things that I've found is almost a, a definition issue, because we look at things like um, environment and um, we sort of content with looking at the workplace as being, um, you know, that almost the boundary of the work that we work at. Um, do we think we need to? I guess I guess almost go back to the drawing board uh, of when of, of how we scope uh, where we get involved at um, and and try and push people to take that bigger view. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure if it's going back to the drawing board. I think it's more about clarifying, yeah, clarifying what we do to people in other disciplines. And you know, I did have a bit of a, I did a sabbatical in 2018, which is when I started thinking about this stuff. And I actually talked to a lot of people in other disciplines and kind of said, well, you know, why don't why don't you collaborate with HFE people? You know, have you got any kind of perspective on that? And, and there was a few things. And the first one was exactly that. It was well, we're not entirely clear what it is you do. So I think there is a there is an exercise that we need to do to make, to kind of clarify what we do, why we're here, what our goals are. Uh, but there was also some interesting other ones. There was, you know, there was there was comments around well, we 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 don't actually see evidence that your methods work, and I think that is a big challenge for HFE as well in in the actually gathering you know scientific evidence to show that HFE work actually has that benefit on health and well-being or performance and, and things like that. Um, so I think that there's definitely work to do within the discipline to kind of ensure that we can and facilitate our collaborations with other disciplines. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's we still being a relatively uh, or comparatively young discipline. Um, we, we're all very good at sitting around and saying, yes, we can definitely add um, add value. But I think considering we spend quite a lot of conferences in the bar still trying to work out what a human factors actually is and the scope ourselves, I guess it should come as no surprise that other people also struggle with that. Um, so I guess there is a lot of work for us to do in the discipline to stop waffling about it and start defining it solidly, but actually stand be because there are definitions out there, but start, as you say, build up that body of evidence about how it can be applied across the piece. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, I think some of the societies are doing a great job, like the, the Chartered Institute, for example, is putting out regular, uh, you know, HFE success stories and things like that. I think academically, there's a job for researchers to actually gather some, you know, robust scientific evidence. And, you know, we've certainly tried those projects and they're very difficult. Yeah. I think they're very difficult to kind of tease out the evidence that relates specifically to the HFE intervention. So part of, I guess, um, you practicing what you preach is you as I mentioned before you do you you write a lot um, and uh, you publish a lot but you're also editor-in-chief for the human factors and ergonomics in manufacturing and service industries journal that sounds um, quite a quite a job um, what does it take to deliver um, deliver a journal like that I mean it sh surely it, it's that must be like a full-time role in, in of itself isn't it um, it certainly could be a full-time role, absolutely. Um, yeah, it takes a lot of time, um, you know, because essentially you're getting all of the submissions and you have to manage each submission and file them out. I, I think what I'm very lucky uh, with the journal is um, I have an extremely good team of associate editors and, and editors underneath that, so they, they do really a lot of the grunt work um, mm -hmm. in, in terms of finding reviewers for papers and things like that. Um, the other thing, the other part of the role that I, I didn't kind of, I guess, think about before I start doing it was you 
you really have to stay across all of the latest developments in HFE. You know, if, I, if I'm making decisions on p other people's research, I need to be across everything. And, you know, I, I guess, again, we've just been talking about the definition of HFE. It blows your mind the kind of scope of it when you see all of the different papers that are coming in and the different topic areas they're focused on. So that's that's challenging. It's, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of time devoted to staying at the top of your kind of game in terms of what you're aware of in HFE. Yeah, yeah. So, how often, just for people who've uh, perhaps not seen it, um, how often, how often do, does it come out in um, in the year? Um, I think at the moment we're doing four issues per year. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we we kind of, and that can range from you know eight journal papers in the issue versus twelve to fifteen if it's a special issue. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then. It's not your only publication. You've, um, you've, like I said, you've written uh, numerous books, and I've, you know, one of them I've got sat uh, right next to me at the moment because it's it, the the blue book I use as my, as my bible for all them sort of uh, things as well. It must be um, quite difficult, I guess, to um, to be able to push push out so much of this uh, this this material all the time. Um, how do you how do you get that level of collaboration? Because you you know a lot of the books you've written, you do collaborate um, uh, quite significantly. How have you managed to pull together such a such a strong team to be able to um, put, put out those sort of books? Yeah, I mean, again, I think I've, I think I've been extremely lucky in terms of who I've worked with through my career. So you know, I, I worked with Neville Stanton for eight years and with other people like Guy Walker and Mark Young, and they're also kind of like minded. And I think. One of the things that Neville drummed into was that you know if you're doing if you're doing great human factors work and you're not telling everybody about it, what's the point of doing it? It's not going to have any impact. So it was drummed into me from an early age. Um, you know you've got to publish everything, uh, and that's been great advice. And I've kind of basically took that on through my own career. Yeah. And then I think you know in Australia, I'm just incredibly lucky to work with such a great team. So you know I have great collaborators who I work with on the writing but I've also you know we've got extremely good support staff in the center who, who effectively create the time for us to write as well right uh, you know program managers and executive assistants and things like that so I've always been really lucky to work with like-minded people but also have a, a good support team with me and I think on top of that I've been extremely lucky to have research only fellowships so you know in Australia um, you can kind of have research-only fellowships from the Australian Research Council, for example, which means you don't get uh, drawn into a lot of teaching or admin. And so right. that obviously frees up a lot of time for writing, whereas other academics who are having to teach and research would kind of struggle, I think. Cunning. So with what you've done um, so far, um, and we've sort of touched on this a bit already, I guess, but what do you think are the, are the big upcoming issues that we need to be solving in, in the HFHFE world? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think the global global ergonomics uh, issue is huge. You know, if you look at the the World Economic Forum's global risk report for this year, there's kind of all sorts of huge, scary risks. Things like climate action failure, weapons of mass destruction, biodiversity loss, extreme weather, water crises, you know, cyber attacks, and so on. And I think they are big challenges for HFE, but we, we should absolutely be taking them on. I don't think we should hide from those, and I think we have the kind of toolkit to do that. Another interesting area, I think, which is really um, kind of topical at the minute, I guess, is health, human factors in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you look at the hospital systems around the world and the healthcare systems, and they're, you know, 
extremely complex. They're under, you know, a huge intensity of operations. You know, kind of patient numbers are increasing, you know, things like the pandemic. And then at the same time, they're managing kind of the insertion of advanced technologies like AI and, and things like that. So I think that is a, a huge area for HFE and certainly we're doing a fair bit of work in that space um, in Australia. And then I think just technology generally. So, you know, we're, we're kind of getting towards the introduction of fully autonomous agents uh, and you know that has huge challenges for HFE in terms of how you design them how you how they work well with humans and one one area in particular that we're kind of interested in we're doing a big project on is artificial general intelligence which is the next kind of evolution of artificial intelligence which there are you know there are actually some credible concerns that it could wipe out humanity so we're trying to say you know, let's not wait for the artificial general intelligence to arrive. Let's do the human factors work now to ensure that we have the controls in place to stop it wiping out humanity. I guess that would be useful. For, um, <laughs> what, um, just in terms of definitions, what do you mean by artificial general intelligence? So artificial general intelligence is kind of the next generation of AI that, you know, there's development programs going on now, but it's the AI basically that can develop human, sorry, can develop, capacities beyond humans so it will right. become it will have more kind of intellectual capacity than us it can learn and self-evolve and, and the key point to it is you know currently artificial intelligence is what they call narrow so you have ai that can drive a car but that's all it can do or you have ai that can play chess and that's all it can do artificial general intelligence um will be able to learn you know new tasks and do things that it wasn't designed for and so there's, you know, there's there's real concerns that these systems, when they're introduced, they'll quite quickly become super intelligent, and yeah. you know, seeing the intelligence explosion, and they'll re- basically seek to achieve their goals more efficiently and, and acquire more resources to do so. And in doing that, you know, they could actually perform tasks that are actually detrimental to human health and well-being. That's su- suitably terrifying. Um, so. <laughs> In terms of that, then, what sort? What do you think it is around that we can do as HFE to actually, um, I guess, counter that? Or what, what? What questions do we need to be answering now in order to address that um, general intelligence problem? Yeah, so I think what what we what we do very well in HFE is we're able to again we're able to analyze entire systems and look at potential risks in the system and develop controls to manage that risk. And so what we're doing, for example, with one of our case studies is um, like an unmanned uh, aerial vehicle, a weaponized unmanned aerial vehicle system for the for army basically. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're applying systems HFE methods to model, well, what controls do defense forces currently have to manage that? And what would then happen if you introduced an AGI system into that? Do those controls work or do you need new controls to actually manage the risk? And so it's a lot of kind of proactive systems HFE modeling, so things like STAMP, um, net harms uh, analyses, um, EAST, the event analysis of systemic teamwork, and really trying to identify the risks now rather than wait until they happen and basically these things shoot off and kind of take over the world, basically. That's really fascinating. I think I might have to um, call you back at some point to talk about that as a an episode in, in its own way because it sounds really, really fascinating. Um so just to um, finish off, then what what is it that you've um, what is it that you haven't done yet that you'd like to get involved in? Is there a particular um, domain or a particular thing that you've you've always had a hankering to do and just never got round to yet? 
And, I mean, it was sport, but now we're doing quite a fair bit in sport, which is right. great. And um, But I think now it's actually space travel. Yeah. I, I think I've always been very interested in, you know, HFE and kind of space travel. And, and as, as we're kind of increasing things in that space, I, I'd like to get involved with some of that, and I, I haven't yet. So that would be really interesting. Well, if you get some of that, give me a shout, because that's high on my agenda as well. But apparently um, Elon Musk isn't responding to my tweets, which I just, <laughs> I just think is rude, personally. Um <laughs> So, space aside, what's next on your agenda? What's the uh, what, what's the next big thing that you're going to hit? Um, so we're really, I think for myself, I'm really focusing on those global issues. So yeah. we've I have a project under review at the moment, which is basically to take those top ten risks from the World Economic Forum and, and really throw the HFE bucket it and say, you know, it, you know, what what are the leverage points in these systems? What do we need to do to kind of Either either prevent these issues or manage them better, and so hopefully that gets funded, and that will be some interesting research for the next few years. That sounds really awesome. Um, just as we um, close out the show, then um, just a bit of a shout out that the Ergonomics Conference, the Chat Institute's Ergonomics Conference, is coming up for 2022, but the deadline for papers for the long papers is fast approaching. So if you've got a paper that you're trying to get done, then you've got about a week, a week and a bit to to get it done. Um, which is a cue to myself, actually, because I've got to pull my own finger out. Um, but if you're wanting to do something, um, still get it included, but you've um, maybe not got there, there's also the short paper approach, which is due in January. So there is a second bite of that cherry. Paul, thank you ever so much for giving your time uh, to engage with us today. If Paul, want, if people want to get in touch with you, um, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, sure. You can flick me an email at psalmon at usc.edu.au and yeah, happy to send you any of the papers or things that you found interesting in the chat that's awesome i will um put in the show notes all the links to yourself you can look at the guest profile um because paul field was the first person to uh fill out a guest profile for, for us using the new mechanism so that's awesome and i'm going to ask him afterwards what he thought but i'm not going to do that on here just in case it's really bad um the um yeah we'll put we'll put all the links to um to everything we talked about today in the show notes and we shall see you uh next time Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us on social media such as Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at 1202 Podcast. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.